We're in a unique time in which people are cooking at home more and when nurturing good health is more important than ever. Those converge with our podcast conversation today. My guest is Lori Mule Wiseman, President and CEO of Mule's Sausage, located in Longmont, Colorado. I'm Courtney Drake McDonough, publisher and managing editor of RealFoodTraveler.com, a digital culinary travel magazine. When I learned about all the good things coming from Lori's company and how ahead of the time they've always been, I wanted to know more. So I asked Lori if she'd be our guest today for the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Lori, and welcome. Well, thank you very much, Courtney. It's nice to be here. Thanks. Let's start with an overview of what your company does. Okay. Uh, Mule's Sausage is a sausage and meatball company. We make premium, better-for-you sausages. We started with my grandmother's recipe from Sicily, and we continue to use the simple um, natural ingredients uh, without adding anything just to make better-for-you products. Great. And, you know, one question I did want to ask was, what defines sausage? What makes sausage a sausage and not just a meat product? Well, sausage is found in cultures all over the world. Um, Almost every culture has its version of uh, sausage. And what it was um, traditionally was the leftover bits and pieces and put into a part of the animal with the theory that you use the whole animal. Um, So typically stuffed into intestine or stomach or some organ that could hold meat and usually mixed with spices or different things that would make it tender and juicy and then either boiled or poached, roasted sometimes. Uh, That's typically the definition of a sausage. And there's always the saying that, you know, you don't want to see what's made, what the sausage is made of. And I think um, that could be true still today. But um, not with ours. We don't use bits and pieces. We don't use snouts and tails. We use uh, 100% whole muscle meat um, that comes off the animal when they're trimming the different, you know, like chops or loins or things like that. So um, that is what is in our sausage. Okay, good. That's good to hear because, yes, I've, I've heard other things <laughs> over the years with other sausages, so that, that is really good to know. So how and when did the business start? Well, we started back in 1990. Um, my then boyfriend, now husband, and I were ski bums in Crested Butte, Colorado, and we worked the four restaurant jobs, you know, trying to make a living, trying to make ends meet. And being from New York, um, my husband, he, we had gone back and went to the San, um, oh gosh, I always say this wrong, San Gerno. No, I'm saying I'm wrong. Festival. It's a big Italian street festival, which was wonderful. But we were surrounded by sausage booths. Get your sausage and peppers here. <laughs> I was. He kept trying to get me to eat one, and I was like, "No way!" And um, finally, I gave in, and I ate. I took a bite, and it was full of gristle and fat, and it was just awful. And I looked at him. I said, "My non-sausage is so much better." 
So we got on a plane, headed back to Crested Butte to go to work, and the 4th of July was coming up, and he said, let's link up some of your Nana's sausage and sell it at the 4th of July festival. So we got a KitchenAid from one of the restaurants, and we ordered 100 pounds of pork, got all the spices mixed in, and spent the whole day linking up 400 sausages. And the next day, we sold out in four hours. That was um, a sign, and people kept saying, oh my gosh, these are so good. Where did you get them? It reminds me of Boston or New York or Chicago. And I just said, well, you know, if you're lucky, we'll do it again next year, <laughs> you know, because that was so much work. But we counted our money, and we're like, oh, that was worth it. Okay, we'll do it again <laughs> next year. And that's how it started. Um then we talked the local grocery store into making it for us. And so we didn't have to do it again ourselves with the KitchenAid. And it kind of went from there. Wow, interesting. So did you wait the whole year to kind of ramp things up and involve the grocery store? Or did that happen sooner? No, we waited the whole year. And in the meantime, we started another business, which was a lodging business. And we ended up in the lodging business for 20 years. The sausage kept growing organically, if you will, um, through uh, the festival, 4th of July, then we added arts festival, then we started selling in the local, the grocery store eventually got really tired of making our sausage. But they said, hey, if you find somebody else, we'll sell it. So it kind of went it, but that's how it got into retail. And um, so it was just this hobby business kind of on the side as we pursued our real business, which was lodging. So <laughs> kind of a funny twist of events. And then when we sold our lodging property in 2011, um, we decided that, hey, we still have this sausage thing. And both of us went into the business full time in about 2013. Wow, that's so interesting how, how it kind of shifted around. It's really cool. Now, you mentioned um, before uh, sausages and meatballs. List for me some of the specific products you offer. Well, it started out with our original uh, hot Italian, my Nana's hot Italian. That's in Lincoln Ground. We also have a mild Italian. Breakfast sausage we created for um, our daughter, who was our daughter, Liza. She was eating sausage every morning, and I just couldn't bear, you know, what she was eating, so we developed a breakfast sausage. Uh, we have Killer Hot, and we have a bratwurst, chorizo, which is fantastic. Then we did meatballs, and we have German Frank and British Banger, which are both brand new as of this summer. Yeah, my husband saw, who's, who's English, saw that you had English bangers, and, and he was thrilled. So we'll, we'll be having that this weekend. <laughs> On your website, um, under the, the heading, The Mule's Difference, I found it really interesting because you have this list of things that, that are different about the company and drop-downs so that people can go into more detail if they want to know more. And so I'd like to go down the list and have you tell a little bit more about what each thing means and why consumers should care about those. So let me start with, with, with you, <laughs> that it's a certified woman-owned business. So I've never heard of, of a certification for that. What does that certification aspect mean? Well, Courtney, as a business woman business owner yourself, we need to talk about this for sure. As you're a certified uh, woman-owned business, it is a third-party certification that says that at least 51% of the business is majority women-owned. 
and then it promotes women of um, women's business and women of diversity. And there's a lot of stats around what it means to be a woman-owned business and how women contribute to their communities, how women help other businesses and basically raise all that they surround themselves with along with them. So it's a better for um, the company, their family, businesses. I mean, men's own businesses are great too, but a woman has a different perspective and what they can do and how they involve their communities and their families and what they are trying to achieve is really um, significant. So it gives women who have in the, you know, workplace traditionally been underpaid and underappreciated, it helps raise them up to a level to be noticed and uh, for their accomplishments to be celebrated. So we're certified through the Women Business Enterprise We Bank WBENC and National Council. So that's that's our certification. Wow, it's interesting and very powerful too. So more certifications. It says you're the only meat company to be certified free from the and I'm doing air quotes here, big eight allergens. What does that mean in terms of the certification and what are the eight and what does that mean for consumers? Well, this is truly exciting. Um, Something that I've been interested in doing for a very long time, but was unable to really find a company in the U.S. that was doing this type of certification until I found Menu Trimfo run by Betsy Craig who is an innovator in her own right. And in 2017, she started um, doing this allergen-free certification as she was, she recognized the need working with universities and uh, big corporate kitchens nationwide, um, like Disney or different uh, catering groups that national presence. She was certifying kitchens from allergens and helping them to understand the cross-contamination risks that come with cooking food for the general public. And as we see allergies increase dramatically since 2010, I mean, it's just exponentially year over year. And the American population has developed these intense allergies that are life-threatening she decided that she would have this certification. And what it does is it certifies a product and through every step of manufacturing from the sourcing of the spices and the main ingredients of the product to the manufacturing of it, the packaging of it, and into the hands of the consumer. So uh, we did receive the first ever allergen-free certification for any meat company. And all of our products are certified free from the eight major allergens, which are uh, egg, wheat, soy, dairy, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. And all of our products are certified free from the eight major allergens. That includes our meatball (laughs) and our British bangers, things that typically have breadcrumbs in them. Uh, The meatball doesn't have any egg in it either. And the best thing about it is that you don't have to compromise 
on taste or quality at all. They're still, they're amazingly delicious products that you will want to just buy for your um, (laughs) kid that can't have gluten, but your whole family will tell you that you have to buy it for the whole family (laughs) because it's so good. Why, um, what's the common theory about why allergens have gone up so much in recent years? You know, there's a lot of different research out there. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to quote something direct right now, but the, the main theory is, is what we are consuming is destroying our ability to digest food properly. And we've moved so far away from the concept of food as medicine, food as nutrition to nourish the body with overly processed foods. You know, gluten is a big deal for a lot of people, but it's because the white process, the white starches that are so over-processed, the excess amount of sugar or corn in our diets, all of that is leading to these severe allergens. Interesting. All right. Um, Next on the list is heritage breed pork, no antibiotics ever, sustainably sourced from small family farms, and a guaranteed living wage for the farmers for every animal raised. Tell us why all of those are good things. Well, I would say that the most important element of what we're doing right now is sourcing our pork. We work with small family farms throughout the Midwest, and we pay those farmers a living wage. What does that mean? It means that the pork, we don't pay a price for what we're buying that changes every week based on commodity markets, based on trade policies or disease in different parts of the world or outside influences that have nothing to do with a cost production system, what what it costs to raise an animal from the time it's born to the time it's sent for processing. The way that the majority of pork or any commodity meat is bought is through the markets. And then what that means is that the farmers aren't guaranteed a set price. A lot of times, which we saw happen in COVID this year, animals were being sold for ridiculously low prices. It costs more to sell the animal or to send the animal to be harvested than it did to actually than the farmers were actually receiving in compensation. So what we do instead is at the beginning or the year or the end of the year, we negotiate with the farmers. What is it costing you to raise an animal? This is the way we want the animal raised, which they all agree. They provide the protocols and we look at them and make sure they're all set and the way that they need to be for humanely raised, outdoor access, all that kind of stuff. And we say, we're going to pay you this amount of money for this amount, an estimated amount of usage, and that the deal's done. And it doesn't matter if the price of pork goes down to 35 cents a pound or if it goes up to $1.20 a pound, we're always paying those farmers the set price that we negotiate. What that does for the farmer is they can invest in their operations, they can invest in their family and send their kids to school, and they can be active members of their community without having to worry about not paying their bills. Um, So it's a really sustainable way to work with farmers. And uh, the best thing is when we're there and visiting the farms this year, 
everyone said that they're making money. And when was the last time you heard a farmer say that they're making money? Right. It's so rewarding. It's so fantastic. Right. And and what about heritage breed pork? I mean, I, like I've been to the Cochon 555s in years past, and I know that that's a real, for a consumer and for a restaurant serving it, that's a real mark of, you know, a high quality pork product. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that and, and also the no antibiotics factor and how that ends up being of benefit to us as humans. Okay, um, the heritage breed uh, pork is important uh, because these are breeds that are heritage, kind of like an heirloom tomato think about it that way the difference is is that all of um if you think back to the food pyramid and in the 1970s when there was a uh and even in the early 80s where there was that marketing campaign about pork the other white meat what they did was they read out all of the fat and the marbling of pork which took away pretty much all the flavor and when you have the commodity pork which is means just basically the stuff that you buy at the grocery store if it doesn't have any special claims on it that is what you're buying it's been the the fat's been bred out and there's no marbling when they take the fat out they took the flavor out so heritage breed they haven't been messed with or buddha tamworth berkshire those are names of heritage breed hogs that our farmers raise. The flavors are just absolutely fantastic. And you can taste the difference in all of our, our products because of the ex- excellent quality of animals that the meat is coming from. No antibiotics ever. That means that these animals have never been given antibiotics. If an animal is sick, it is culled from the herd and sold off to another operation that is giving antibiotics to their animals. On the website, there's a really great video of a gentleman a farmer named Russ Kramer. And he has he grew up on a hog farm, raised hogs his whole life, and then in the 80s was actually bitten by a hog and almost lost his life. He had a virus bacteria got in it was antibiotic resistant and why is that the animals had been consuming antibiotics in their feed every day of their life and that is what happens to the majority of hogs that are raised in this country it is not it's outlawed in europe outlawed in canada but in the united states you can have antibiotics low dose antibiotics in the feed of the animals why do they do that it helps them gain weight faster and it also it account it helps them not get sick in very close confined quarters so it ha- it's twofold But when an animal is given antibiotics every day, we consume the meat of that animal. We also are getting some of that antibiotic resistance. And that antibiotic resistance is what's causing like these superbugs that are not able to be treated with antibiotics. And it's very, very scary. Wow. Thank you for for explaining that so well. That's the best explanation I've ever heard of the whole antibiotics chain. And and particularly important now, now that we've got um, 
you know, we're in a pandemic, it's just especially good to understand all of that. Um, you also list that your your products are gluten-free, which you mentioned before, but also paleo and keto-friendly. I mean, that's one of the things that puts you ahead of your time, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But, I mean, that certainly must be a big appeal these days for everybody dealing with all three of those issues and choosing to eat that, you know, the paleo lifestyle and the keto lifestyle. Yes, we were certified gluten-free in third-party certified gluten-free in 2008, and we were certified paleo 2014, and keto happened last year. But the fact of the matter is, is that our products have always been free from the eight major allergens. They've always been gluten-free. They've always been free from sugar, no sugar, no nitrates, all of that, no MSG, no artificial colorings, all that, no corn syrup. We, we've never made products that way. Our products have always been super clean, going back to the way that I first made sausage with my grandmother and my grandfather on their kitchen table in Pueblo, Colorado, where we put out the pork and we throw the spices. Like, they didn't measure, right? You just had a handful of red pepper and a handful of salt and, you know, that's how we made it. And then we rolled it all. We pulled it all together. And then they put it up. You know, they froze it. We, of course, feasted on it the next day. But that's the way we've always made it. And we've stayed true to that. So getting the third-party certifications is just another way to give our customers confidence and a feeling of, you know, consumer trust in our brand that we don't just say it, you don't have to take our word for it, but we are third-party certified. So so now here is the perfect lead-in to talking about you guys being kind of ahead of the curve with a lot of these emerging trends. You were doing all of this from the start, but obviously things like, you know, oh, the paleo diet, the keto diet, you know, gluten-free becoming such a thing. As those As those were coming to be, were you jumping on, you know, from a marketing and labeling standpoint, were you sort of jumping on being able to say, hey, we already offer this, um, or, you know, kind of chicken and egg kind of thing, you know, which came first, that these things were buzzwords, and then you started addressing them as such, or were you already saying, we're great for for high-protein diets, and we're already gluten-free and all these other things, even before those were buzz concepts? Well, we were saying it before, like a a gluten-free certification in 2008. People thought we were absolutely crazy, and like, who cares? Like, all sausage is gluten-free. Well, no, all sausage is not gluten-free. A lot of sausage uses very cheap meat, and it's very fat. To, to be a sausage, you only have to have 42% meat in it. And so if you only have 42% meat, what else are you eating? And that is made up of a lot of fat and a lot of filler, which is oats or wheat, a gluten solution that absorbs all the fat when the sausage is cooked. You know, like, but people didn't realize that. But that was something that was different and what we were doing. Now, you know, everyone like, we're gluten-free, which is great. You know, it's it's more about, like, I'm more concerned about what we're eating as a society, the health and nutrition of 
or food. And so it's great that other people are doing it. We were just first. Yeah. Um, so I don't want you to give away any trade secrets or anything, but, you know, and you mentioned the meatballs and I think it was the bangers that don't have any kind of filler in there. So if only 42% of the product has to be meat, in your case, because you're not using fillers, you know, how do you overcome that? In which ways are your sausages different since you're not using fillers like that? Well, they're 100% meat and spices. That's it. Um, And the meat that we're using is not commodity meat. It's heritage breed pork. That's never, ever, no antibiotics ever. So that's the difference. And you can taste the difference. You know, you can just taste it. And people that have it, they, why, you know, your sausages are so good. We just, we got this great consumer kind of fan mail I guess if you will and she just went on and on about how delicious our sausages were (laughs) and she said if you ever start if you ever stop selling them here and she's in Little Rock in Little Rock Arkansas I will have to throw myself off a bridge (laughs) (laughs) it just warms my heart it makes me so happy that a lot of people that have never or had to stop eating sausage you know maybe they're at from an Italian family and they haven't had meatballs in 15 years or I I did present to a buyer and he was gluten-free and he had tears in his eyes when he was eating the meatballs and it was like that makes me super happy um the German Frank it doesn't have any sugar in it it doesn't have any gloom it's it's like a gourmet hot dog it's so good um so it's why is it so good just because we use really simple fantastic ingredients back to the basics so let me let me ask what may seem like a silly question but if if you're not adding all that fat the other companies are does that mean your sausages are a little bit more on the dry side or or no no we still definitely add fat i mean it's but it's all meat it's the natural fat that comes with the pork that kind of gets back to the heritage breed you know the meat has not been gen- it hasn't been altered to to breed out the genetics of the marbling and the richness and the flavor of the meat okay gotcha um who and and where and how do you sell the sausages you mentioned the woman in little rock so where where all is it available and how can people get it well we're available in retail stores Primarily in the western U.S., however, more and more carrying it in the Midwest, up into Minnesota and Arkansas, definitely in Texas, Kansas, Nebraska. And we we sell online as well, mulays.com. We have all of our products. We also are on Amazon, and we are also expanding into food service, so hopefully in a restaurant near you soon. Good. That'd be wonderful. I know you said your husband works with you full-time. Are there any other family members working with you? Both of our daughters help us out. Uh, Our daughter, Lena, she does marketing for us, some of the social media components of our business, and advises me what is... (laughs) She helps me not be an idiot (laughs) (laughs) responding. Um, So she's trying to help me with that. 
And uh, our daughter, Liza, is in our coupon redemption department. Both girls are taste masters for the company. So, of course, nothing gets, no new items get produced unless they pass both girls' tests. And I don't think anyone's could be as critical as Liza in particular. Yeah. Um my husband and I work together, and I, I love talking to people where it's a husband and wife team working together. So with you and your husband, how do you work the hierarchy, or d- does one of you have a certain set of duties and the other one has a completely separate set? Um, yes, but it, they're not so much, like we've never sat down and organized them. We've been in business together since our first business in 1991 when we, well, this this when we did that first um, selling at the 4th of July Fair, but our first business was a bed and breakfast. We opened it up and we ran that for four years and then we built a lodge and hostel. So we've always worked together. And in this one, in Mule's, I'm the boss, like, but, <laughs> but. We both, like, we both are, I couldn't do without him. I like to say I make the promises, he keeps them. (laughs) That's kind of the way we work. I am the visionary. I am the marketer. I am the networking person and kind of the face of the company. And he is the the behind-the-scenes logistics making the magic happen. So, Sounds like you've got a good plan going. Um, I, I want to go back to the fact that, that this is a woman-owned business. In terms of your day-to-day operations, in what ways do you find that it's been helpful for you in business that you're a woman? Like, what, what characteristics do you feel like you bring to the company? Well, being a woman in this industry is definitely the exception. It is a man's world, the meat realm. But I see more and more women all the time. I think we bring maybe an understanding about usage and user, consumer desires to the table. Also, maybe a little more, well, this I can speak for me. It really matters to me that we pay our farmers a living wage. It really matters to me how the animals are raised. It really matters to me that our employees are treated fairly and and like family so I don't know if that's different in a man's owned business with a man running a business but those are things that I prioritize maybe over the bottom line which my husband sometimes could you know (laughs) he is very upset about but for me it's like if we can't do it right then why would we even try to do it? Do you, do you um, especially early on, I'd like to think things are a little better these days, but earlier on in the business, you said it, it was rare for a woman to be in the sausage-making business. Did you run into some, let's say, obstacles, to be very general about the word? Um, <laughs> um, yes, and I can't say that that's over. Um, I think... I'll, you know, you definitely come across the, the buyer that's like, oh, pretty lady, what do you think you're doing kind of thing. But I think I've never been one, you know, if you say I can't, I will. So I think that's more of a personal 
trait. Uh, I won't give up easy. And it's just trying to understand where a person's coming from and meet them where they are to help them understand what we're doing and, and why that's important to their customers. That's been probably my biggest challenge is, and that's more of a, I think I'm revealing a lot about myself. That's more uh, of a personal challenge for me and just being a little more patient and understanding of who I'm selling it to, especially in retail. I mean, it's very difficult. It seems to me that we should be in retailers all over the country, in big retailers. And, and we come across that challenge all the time. You know, all everybody says that they want all the things that we offer. There's no other sausage company or meat company that offers what we offer. But when they come to actually wanting to pay for it, they won't. But customers will. It's important to our customers, the, the stores where we're in. I mean, Natural Grocers by Vitamin Cottage. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, you are familiar yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado-based company, 160 stores plus, primarily in the western U.S. and Midwest. And we're the top-selling sausage and meatballs and we're up 50% year over year with them right now. People are really looking for this type of item, trying to get other retailers to to understand that and to pay for it because the customers will pay for it. I mean, we're more expensive, no doubt, but I just told you why we are. And people willing to pay for it, they're making an investment in a chain of production, not just you know, a package that they're going to put on their table, but a package that they can feed their family and be proud of from the start to the end of manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, Lori, I want to take an aside to say, you know, you, yes, you've shared, you're sharing a lot about yourself, but thank you for doing that because that's exactly why I do these podcasts because I didn't have you on just to say, oh, we've got great sausage. There's always a story behind everything and you know every person and every business there's a story behind them and that's why I love doing these podcasts so much because you can hear in your voice the passion for what you do and you know this is a chance to divulge a little bit about yourself and for people to really get to know not just what the product is but the people and the intention behind it so so don't feel bad about that (laughs) i appreciate it and i i know our listeners will appreciate that you're revealing yourself a little bit and you know telling your story a little bit more so thank you for that um i want to talk about recipes you know you've you've talked about how amazing the products are and you have the most tantalizing looking photos on your website and thank you for sending a few of those to me which i'll be including in the article that goes along with this podcast but who and how do you come up with those recipes to suggest to us all well i love to cook so if i am organized enough to actually take photos and cook and then get somebody to write down the recipe, <laughs> that, that's, that's one source. But I've been told by my daughter, Lena, social, for social, and Jeff, who's fantastic in helping us out with marketing media, they both tell me that I am not doing a very thorough job of that. So we get a lot of our recipes from influencers, people that post online. We have had... Uh, so many people this past year alone 
just contact us and say, I love your products. I made this. Um, I just wanted to share with you this video. We just did a recipe contest and Vlada Vladek. It's Seeds of Life is the name of her channel on YouTube, but she does cooking shows and she just did one for Millet. So great content, great recipes. And we have so many other great, you know, influencers and bloggers and people that just find our product, love it and put up the recipes. So I am grateful well, that's, for that. That's interesting. So it's, it really is a joint effort and tried and true things. That's good to know. And I'm definitely going to be perusing those this weekend as I do some grilling and cooking. What's one of your favorite products and ways to use it? Well, probably one of the longest or the oldest recipe that I can remember is our holiday stuffing, Nana stuffing. And that is, um, we're just past the holidays. So I know it's not timely, but that recipe is so good, so simple, and changes any holiday. And you can make it gluten-free with gluten-free breadcrumbs for the stuffing. The other ones, some favorites are chorizo burgers coming up into grilling season. Who would think that just one package of chorizo, one package of ground beef, mix them together, throw them on the grill, put them on a bun with some salsa, some cheese, and and uh, avocados or guacamole. Oh my gosh, you have a gourmet hamburger. People will just be like, ah, you don't even, you don't have to add any spices to it. It's just you know, super easy. Kind of a really fun, different one is the Gorilla Extravaganza. Who doesn't love bacon? Put bacon down and then roll out um, mules. You can use any flavor. I like to use the original hot Italian. And then pound it out chicken breast and then another layer of sausage and then another layer of bacon and you fold it in one of those grill baskets. Stick it on the grill it's about half hour each side, and then you cut it into squares and serve it like like a hamburger or something, you know, on on bun or, or um, ciabatta or you know some fun bread. And oh my gosh, that is amazing! No, uh, I just made scotch eggs this weekend with the family, and I had never done that before, so that might be a good one for your husband to try. Mm-hmm. With the breakfast sausage, um, you you just poach an egg or not poach but soft boil an egg four minutes if you like runny yolks which i do peel it stick it in cold water and then cover it surround it with sausage that you've pressed out and then you can fry it you can fry it in a pan or you can fry it on in an air fryer you roll it in breadcrumbs oh my gosh it was so good (laughs) it was so good that all sounds delicious Way too much sausage. <laughs> you know, we, um, at Thanksgiving, we bought two turkeys because they were such a good deal and we had the room in the freezer. And so, and we love the Thanksgiving meal. So we're planning to have Thanksgiving in the spring. So I'm going to make your stuffing in, in the spring and uh, when we have second Thanksgiving. So that sounds really good. Great. You know, I, I like to ask um, people who have a food product or have a restaurant this question because everybody always has an answer and an interesting one. Is there any product that you have that people just tend to not order as much as the others and that you're thinking, but why? It's so good. (laughs) Um, I would say that chorizo, 
I have an answer for two products. One is the chorizo. People take my mother, for instance. Uh, no, I don't eat chorizo. I don't want that. You know, it's all, it's gross. It's, I, I just said, mom, this is my product. Like you have to eat it. You have to at least try it. Well, I, I won't tell you what she used to say to me, <laughs> but anyway, she, I, she did taste it. And now what does she get every time she comes over? Chorizo. Um, I need another couple packages of chorizo. <laughs> so the, People think about chorizo and they think about orange grease sitting in a pan and lymph nodes and salivary glands. (laughs) (laughs) That is not this chorizo. Um, I like to describe it as fresh and a fresh version of a Spanish flavor. So it's that, you know, if you've had the smoked Spanish chorizo that's hard, like a salami. Oh my gosh, that is just so beautiful that flavor is so rich and then um mexican chorizo that's fresh and vibrant so it's kind of a combination of those two i love it um the other product that people really just don't order because it sounds scary and to be honest it is is our killer hot and i like to say for the few the crazy the extreme (laughs) people who love hot they love our killer hot so that is only available online. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, the the one and only time I've made chorizo, it was exactly like you described. I, I'd never done it before. I put it in the pan, and I walked away for a minute. I came back, and it was a puddle of... <laughs> I mean, there was nothing left. There was no. It was just like it had just disappeared and disintegrated into a puddle of orange grease. It was so that completely turned me off of it. So I'm excited to try yours because obviously it's going to be a completely different experience than that. So the other question I always ask people, and this this about concludes our podcast, is. I I know you you kind of did the initial Fourth of July festival and then. It really wasn't until the next year when things started to get going more as an actual company. But when things were getting going, what did you envision? Like, what did you picture? Oh, this is what it's going to be like when we have this company, and this is how people are going to use it. What What was the picture in your mind? Well, to be completely honest with you, I never really had that picture because it wasn't our focus We did think, you know, it was more of like, oh, yeah, are we going to do this again this year? Or, oh, people are starting to buy this. So so it wasn't our focus. Now now my vision is different, and I do try to look ahead. But I was never at the beginning like, oh, my gosh, this is what, you know, I don't think little girls grow up and say, hey, I'm going to have a sausage company. (laughs) I get older. <laughs> um, that is that was definitely not my intention as an art history major. Okay, all right, fair enough. So let's tell people again, and and keeping in mind that people are listening from all over the country um, and beyond. Where can people go to to order your sausage? And um, if their stores don't carry it, what can they do? You can get our products and find out more. Check out some of those videos on the Mule's Difference page at mulays.com and it's m-u-l-a-y-s.com okay thank you for doing that 
So if you're, because there is a map on there and you can put in your city and, and see what stores, if any, have them. If your store doesn't have them, can you ask your grocer to carry them? Does it work that way? One would hope. <laughs> so I would highly encourage you, if, if you have Mule's, you love it, go to your favorite store and just say, hey, you really should bring this in. You need to, you could talk to the manager, but really it's the meat manager at the store. A lot of decisions are made at the corporate headquarters. Some corporate headquarters are better than others at listening to the feedback from their their managers at store level so i would just encourage you um if you have a good relationship even if you don't start a relationship it's always good to know your meat manager at your local store and talk to them they're great guys all of the the retailers have just been 110 percent capacity during this whole covid thing and um if nothing else tell them thank you for what they've been doing. That, that's very nice. That's really nice that you said that. Well, we always have an article on the realfoodtraveler.com website that will contain the link to this podcast. And there we'll have the links to your website and also your social media so people can easily go right to those. But I do want to remind everyone that if you've enjoyed this podcast, you'll probably enjoy our others, which are available on our website. But also you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a wide variety of other listening services, which we'll have the link to on our website. So, Lori, thank you again for talking to us today and for the education into so many things and the insight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, Courtney. I appreciate it as well. Well, Take care. You too.